We are on Zayin Amabez 7B1 in the Art School Gemara on the second column, on the top of the second column. We are continuing our discussion about uh, Sheva Brachos, about the seven blessings which uh, we recite uh, for the, let's say, in a, in a case of where it's just the first marriage, uh, certainly the first marriage for uh, the bride, and also if it's the first marriage for the groom. That they have seven days of of uh, where they could recite these seven blessings. So they recite these seven blessings after a meal, a meal which celebrates the wedding. And so we'll see that there are various conditions which have to be met. And so we will see that in this recording. So the Gemara says, "Gufa Amar of Nachman Amar Barnasan." This is actually something which we saw in the last recording. The question is, how do we know? That we need ten men present. Tana, basara. How do we know that we need ten people, ten men who are present? And so he quotes one verse. The verse is Shinamar. It's the case that we discussed in the last recording with Boaz and Rus that we have in Tanakh. That Boaz and Rus they got married to each other, and he says that he wants ten people to be present and to stay there to be present, and so. Uh, that is there for the Sheva Brachos so that they can recite the seven blessings. So we see from here that you need ten people. Rabbi Avo Amar, that's one source. Rabbi Avo gives a different source. Mehacha, it comes from the following source, from Tehillim, from Psalms, where the verse says, Bimakhelos Barchu Elokim Hashem Mimbekor Yisrael. In Makhelos, in assemblies or in large gatherings, Kahal. Which uh, we learn from other places, it means uh, ten men. So that from there we we bless we 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 bless Hashem from the womb of Israel. It says Mimikor Yisrael from the womb of Israel, meaning de- issues that deal with the womb, i.e., marriage, which is, is linking the concept of marriage to having children, uh, which is an interesting idea uh, that there's uh, this link between. Marriage and having children to the extent that this is the source for the idea that we need require ten people at the Shevet Brachos at this celebration which takes place for the week following the wedding. So we have these two different sources. Now the Gemara is about to ask how come each person didn't hold of the other source? We have two different sources. What was the problem with the other one? And so the Gemara will deal with that. But before we even get there, why do we need to have it in the presence of a group of a group of ten? So this is a dispute. There are basically two different approaches, two very interesting approaches that are taken. One approach is that the reason why you need to have 10 men is for the same reason that we require 10 men in other scenarios. For example, for Devar Mishep for things that are referred to as Devar Mishep things of holiness, uh, for prayer, for, for aspects of prayer and Kedusha, um, it requires to say Baruch to say, to say different uh, parts of the prayer, we require ten men because that is what is necessary for holy things. And so, so to over here, we require ten, we require ten men. Another way of understanding it is that it's really, it's a way of being mafarsim, publicizing the thanks, uh, and, uh, and, uh, the praise that we have to God for uh, creating this marriage for allowing these two people who come from two different homes, two totally from two different homes, to come together and to create and begin their own new family—that's something to publicize and to thank God for. 
And uh, the Gemara even says that it's so difficult, uh, it's so difficult to, to create a shidduch, to create a match. Uh, and so the fact that they, they're able to create this match is something where we have to praise God for it. We have to praise Hashem for the fact that uh, this couple is getting married. And so with, when we publicize it, we have to publicize it in front of ten. This issue about what's the reason? Is the reason because you need ten because just like other parts of uh, prayer which require ten because those, those are holier parts so it requires ten people That's and so, so too over here it's referred to as Devarim Shebekedusha um, by, by the Sheva Brachos by the seven blessings it's also uh, aspects of holiness to them that requires ten people um, or is the idea that it's uh, publicizing uh, and th- the miracle and thanking God for what has occurred this, this has Many ramifications, very practical ramifications as to whether or not you take one side or the other. So, for example, is it limited to men? Is it limited to men? We know that for Devarim Shabbat for aspects of holiness, it's limited to men. But if it's to publicize the praise, so then maybe we can include uh, women and children. Perhaps that's possible. Another, another ramification would be, could the bride, or potentially the groom also, be included in one of the ten? Could the... Meaning, sorry, could the groom be included and potentially the bride? Sorry about that. Uh, could the groom be included in one of the ten? So, if it's about Dvaram Shabbat you just need the presence of ten to recite this because it's aspects of holiness associated with it. So, then he could be included in one of the ten. But if it's to publicize and, and, and to share this with others, so then that's a reason to say that maybe he can't be included. It's about telling it to other people. He knows that he's married. He doesn't have to be one of the ten. You have to have ten other people uh, that, uh, that you're sharing it with. So these are just uh, some of the practical ramifications. There are others as well uh, that uh, would come up uh, as to what is the reason for these. Oh, one other one before we continue is would you have to stand or could you sit? Because if it's something which is Devarim Shabbat if it's holy, if it's about uh, holy matters, so then we know that we stand. We stand uh, for Baruch We stand for Kedusha. We stand for different parts of the prayer where we require uh, ten men. And so then we should also have to stand up when we recite these blessings. Um, at least, uh, at least at the chuppah. At the chuppah, maybe we should stand. I believe it is the custom to stand in different parts of Israel. It's the custom to stand for, at the chuppah itself. Um, in America, it's, uh, it's more common to sit at the chuppah. If you take the approach that it's not about Devar Meshach that this isn't about these are words of, of holiness like Baruch like different aspects of the prayer, but rather this is about publicizing the praise and the thanks to Hashem and the miracle of what, what has occurred, so then maybe you could sit. Maybe it would make sense that you could sit uh, because uh, it's not, uh, it's not, uh, it doesn't fall under Devar Meshach You could publicize it and they could be sitting, and it is the practice to sit uh, at the chuppah in, uh, in other places in America and in other places across the world. Um, so this this would have a few different ramifications depending on what the reason is behind having ten. So the Gemara now continues and wants to know, okay, we brought two different sources. One rabbi brought one source. A different rabbi brought a different source. So then, why did they disagree with each other? So Rav Nachman, Rav Nachman, who gave the first source about Boaz and Rus, that it said that he brought ten people, why didn't he agree to the second source which says that in... In a group, we should praise God about things dealing with the womb. So he says, because he uses that verse for something else. He uses that verse for something else. 
Hayer Meir Omer, he uses it for something which Meir said. How do we know? It's not referring to matters of the womb in terms of having children and therefore it's related to marriage. No, it's about a fetus who is in the womb. In the womb. The fetus is in the womb and the fetus is also praising God. What was the context in which the fetus is praising God? As he says, how do we know that a fetus who was also in the mother's womb praised God after the splitting of the sea? After the splitting of the sea, how do we know this? From this verse, that's what this verse is teaching us, that even the fetus in the womb was was praising God. Now, what does it mean that the fetus in the womb was praising God? What exactly does that mean? So there are different explanations. One explanation is that the fetus also understood that uh, something incredible was happening because God made sure that nobody would give birth right before crossing the sea. Because if they gave birth right before crossing the sea, that would be pretty difficult to cross the sea. And so therefore, uh, there was many miracles which occurred during that time. Uh, as we have at the Seder night, we discussed that. Uh, but uh, another miracle which occurred was the fact that the fe- that they didn't give birth, that they held off on giving birth until they crossed the sea. So even the fetus understood uh, the greatness of, of uh, what was happening at that time. If that's the case, asks the Gemara, we're now on Zayinam Abay 7b2 on the top left-hand column in the article Gemara, V'idach, well, according to the opinion that did, in fact, learn from this verse to teach us that at Sheva Brachos, at the seven blessings, you need ten people present, what is he, what, why doesn't he use that, that same verse to teach us about the fact that the, the fetus were also reciting praise to God? Because he says, him can't lemma me betten. Maimi Makor, at least came Makor. Because if that's the case, it should have used a different Hebrew word. It should have said, Mi Betan, from the stomach, and not from the womb. The fact that it tells us from the womb, it's to tell us that it's about, that the praise has to deal with issues that come from the womb, i.e. giving birth, and so therefore, when do we have that praise? We have it by Sheva Brachos, we have it by the seven blessings, by the week after the marriage. And so that's why um, he learns it from that verse. The Gemara now asks the flip question, so according to the position that says that we learn it from, uh, the second position, Rabbi Avo, that learns it from, uh, that we need 10 people from the verse that says that it has to do with al iske mekor, that dealing with the birth is praise that's done in a group. Why doesn't he learn it from Rus and Boaz? Why doesn't he learn it from Rus and Boaz whether he gathered 10 people? Seemingly, uh, so that they, they could recite the Shavu Brachos. So he answers, how midrash, so the answer is, is that no, he wasn't. He didn't gather ten people so that they could recite the Sheva Brachos. That's not the source. The reason why he gathered ten people was so that he could make an announcement. Oftentimes when we want to make a halachic announcement, a halachic ruling, so then you would publicize it. And you would have to publicize it in front of ten people. What's the halachic ruling here? Now Boaz is coming and he's marrying Rus. He's marrying Rus. Uh, and you might have thought that there's a prohibition to marry Rus, because we know that the Torah says you're not allowed to marry somebody from Ammon or from Moab. <coughs> it's explicit in the Torah from two different uh, nations. You're not allowed to marry people from them. But we have to make an announcement that you're only not allowed, the Jewish women cannot marry the men from those nations. However, the flip side, to marry women from those nations, that's permissible. And we have to make such an announcement now. Why is it now? Because Rus is from those nations. 
Rus is from them. So therefore, we have to make this announcement. We have to say that this is permissible. What's taking place right now, this wedding that's taking place, is completely permissible, which is why he gathered 10 people. Don't say he gathered 10 people for the Shavu Brachos. No, this isn't the source. We already knew this. Uh, but rather, it's to, we, he gathered 10 people so that he can make this announcement, this halachic announcement. He has to publicize this halachic announcement that this wedding is acceptable. It's an acceptable wedding. And he even proves it. He says that if it's really about Sheva Brachos, about reciting these blessings, so then you don't need to have elders. The verse says that he gathered 10 people who were elders. You don't need to have elders. If it's to recite a halachic ruling and you want the elders there, the people who are the wise men, who the older wise men, so then it makes sense. But if it's just for the for the Sheva Brachos, for the seven blessings, you don't need to have older people there. Ve'idach, well, that's a pretty good argument. So what is the person who does prove from there? Why do you, why, why, why were there elders there? Why did it say elders? Or, or, how does he reject that? Sorry, he says, wait a minute. Why do you need to have 10? Where's 10 come from? You, okay, you need to publicize it, but who said specifically the number 10? So publicize it in front of a few people, three, four, five people. Why do you, where does 10 come from? Why specifically 10? 10 is because that's what you need for Sheva Brachos. For Sheva Brachos to recite the seven blessings after the wedding, you need 10 people. So Rabbi Avo says, with regards to the response to 10 about reciting a halachic ruling, he says, in, I can prove to you. There are cases, there are other cases where we, we have a certain halachic ruling and it has to be done in front of 10. Well, we have cases like that. In, the pursuit of Milsa, to publicize the matter, could the Amr We have the case where Shmuel told Rechana of Baghdad, Puk Aiti Libeya go get me 10 people, so that I could tell them it in their presence. A totally different issue, but uh, about a halachic ruling about uh, what a fetus is allowed to acquire. Fascinating discussion. Uh, what a uh, what a fetus what what you could acquire for a fetus. He says that a fetus could acquire things. You could acquire things for a fetus, and but I have to say this in front of ten people. This is not something which is so obvious, um, and uh, I have to say this. I want to I want to publicize this halachic ruling. Bring me ten people, so we see. You bring ten people if you want to issue a halachic ruling. The Gemara just ends off by saying, you should just know the law is that uh, you cannot acquire for a fetus. But it happens to be a fascinating discussion on its own. We don't have time to get into. But the point of this was just to say that the reason why you need 10 is because, yeah, we find in other places where you gather 10 people to issue a halachic ruling, which is not so simple. Okay, that is the discussion about 10. We had two different sources. How do we know that we need 10 people by these blessings that we recite over the course of the week? When we have these uh, celebrations, these dinners, these parties for the bride and the groom, you need to have 10 men, 10 people present in order to recite the Sheva Brachos, to recite these seven blessings. We, we quoted the sources and we explained why each person doesn't hold to the other person's source. The Gemara now continues on the discussion of Sheva Brachos, or Brachos in general. We are taught in a Brisa that we recite these seven blessings, which we haven't even explained what these seven blessings are. We'll get to that in the next recording. But these seven blessings, when do we recite them? We recite them besides the week of, we recite them under the chuppah. We recite it under the chuppah at the wedding itself. And Rabbi Yehuda says, Not just under the chuppah, which is the second stage of marriage, but as we explained in the times of the Talmud, there was a first stage of marriage which took place a year earlier. And at that first stage of marriage, Rabbi Huda says, we recite those same seven blessings at the first stage of the marriage, where they're not even allowed to live together. They have to be separated, but uh, they are halachically uh, engaged, or it's the first stage of marriage, however way you want to call it. Uh, we recite the seven blessings then also. But 
<laughs> why why did he say this? Amr Abaye. It's important to qualify this. We're now in seven B three. It was limited. In general, we do not recite these seven blessings at the time of the engagement, uh, which took place a year earlier in the times of the Talmud. Again, today, we have the engagement. The giving of the ring is the engagement. And then we have the actual wedding that all takes place under the canopy. It all takes place under the chuppah. It all takes place within, uh, you know, there's a five-minute separation between the two. It used to be in the times of the Talmud that there was a year gap between the two. Um, between the giving of the ring and then actually living with each other. So Abayi says the only time that we recite the seven blessings also at the time of the engagement, which took place a year earlier, is only in a place called in Yehuda, in a, in a place that's referred to as Yehuda. Why? Because in that area, they had the custom of having the bride and the groom be secluded with each other even during the time period of the engagement because we wanted to make sure that they get to know each other before the actual marriage. Um, and so therefore they would be secluded during the time of the engagement. And therefore, because of that, uh, part of the process to allow for that, uh, explains Rashi, is that we have to recite these seven blessings. It's required to recite these seven blessings in order to allow them to be secluded. And so therefore they said those seven blessings by the engagement. But that was a unique case. For the other cases, for the mass, vast majority of cases, they would not recite the seven blessings at that time. During that, the time of the engagement, they would only recite it at the second stage at the wedding itself, when they're under the canopy a year later, which is what we do today. We do everything all today at once, but the seven blessings is recited after the engagement and then by the actual, what's referred to as the actual wedding itself. Uh, that's when we recite the seven blessings under the chuppah. The Gemara now continues. Again, we're on the first column of 7b3 in the article Gemara. Tani Idach, there's another brisa, a different brisa which has the following statement. We recite these seven blessings by the wedding itself, but there's another bracha, there's a different blessing which was recited at the engagement. So again, this is what we do today. At the, after the giving of the ring, there is the reciting of this engagement, the blessing for, for the time of the engagement. In the times of the Talmud, they would do this a year earlier. And this is what the bracha is. What exactly is the blessing? They said the following, these rabbis said the following, this is the blessing. Blessed are you God, the, the, the beginning of all blessings, King of the universe, who has commanded us on the commandments, he had commanded us regarding forbidden, uh, forbidden unions, that over here that there's potentially because here, now there are new forbidden relationships that a person can't marry their in-laws uh, and she can't marry her in-laws. And so there are added prohibitions here. Also, the simple understanding here is that there's a rabbinic prohibition after the engagement until they actually get married for the two of them, for the couple, for the husband and wife to have sexual relations. That itself is a rabbinic prohibition. And so that's part of the blessing. And, and, and perhaps it's uh, it's trying to tell us that we want to have them to have this connection before, we want to have this break beforehand, before they actually uh, live with each other in intimacy. That they have this relationship, they first develop a relationship, and only afterwards do they then have the actual marriage where they are physically intimate. The rest of the blessing says, and then he permits us, it permits the, the husband and the wife to then be intimate through the marriage, through the chuppah, by having the chuppah and the first stage of the 
of the engagement. That we have the engagement and then the marriage, and through that, then they become permissible to each other. But we first have to have the stage of erusin, of the engagement where they're not allowed to be with each other, and then afterwards, uh, they are allowed to be with each other after the, the actual marriage. And that's the blessing. That's the blessing that we make. There's an important discussion we don't have time to get into about what exactly is this blessing. It could be on the mitzvah of getting married. There's a discussion, is there even a mitzvah to get married? Is there, we know there's a mitzvah to have children. Is there a mitzvah specifically to get married? So some want to say that there is, Maimonides, the Rambam says there is a mitzvah to get married and this could be the, this is the blessing on, on, on this mitzvah of getting married, even though this is the first stage of the marriage, but uh, the, the mitzvah is on this first stage. Okay, a few more lines and then we'll conclude. Rav Acha concluded with the following statement, which we have, We say, Blessed are you God, who sanctifies Israel, who sanctifies the Jewish people, through Chupa and Kiddushin. And what could be the idea behind this? The Rambam Maimonides explains the history of marriages and says that it used to be that people would just have only the actual marriage, the second stage. What's now created is this first stage of marriage where it's a halachic engagement where they're not allowed to be with each other, but there's still this, uh, this halachic relationship that they have with each they have They have a relationship and a halachic uh, responsibilities towards each other. Um, and that itself is being added, and so we're thanking God for sanctifying us, for allowing us to have this higher level of sanctity of holiness in our in our marriages. So that's how he would end. Not everybody would end that way, but that's how he he concluded the blessing. And the Gemara explains. <coughs> Basically, the way Tosos understands this is that you have to look at different blessings. Some blessings they start off with Hashem, blessed are you God. And sometimes it ends off, the last line, it repeats, blessed are you, God. It concludes again with a blessing. Sometimes it doesn't. So what does it depend upon? So it could depend upon how long the blessing is. If it's a very long blessing, then it will conclude again, the last line, with blessed are you, God. If it's not so long, so then we wouldn't. So this is sort of in between. This is what Tosus explains. It's sort of in between. So some have the practice not to end off because it's really not so long. Others have the practice to conclude with this because really it is longer than other blessings, and so that is subject to dispute. But that is the blessing which we recite by the time of the engagement. In the next recording, we'll begin our discussion of the blessing that we recite under the chuppah at the time of the actual marriage. Today, they take place within five minutes of each other. We say both under the chuppah, under the canopy today. First, we say the engagement blessing, and then afterwards, we say the sheva brachos, the seven blessings of the sheva brachos, which we will get to in the next recording.